Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for giving us the healing power of the Holy Spirit of God to come into our lives and to show us the way and to open up our hearts and open up our minds to the truth. And we declare you, Lord Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in our lives, over our lives, over everything in our lives. And I pray that your powerful name will release some powerful things into all of our hearts today as we open up your word. I want to pray for Brian and his family over in Israel and as, as a representation of all of our brothers and sisters that are suffering all over the world battling and fighting for truth. I pray that in the midst of the horrific war that's going on over in Israel, that those who know you and know your name and have been saved by your name will boldly, fearfully proclaim the truth to those who truly need it or desperately in need of the healing power of your name, Lord Jesus, before it's too late. Help them and help us in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Whew. Can you go on? Can you, can you go on? Good. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> so I just have a quick question to ask you, because I don't have a snappy little song to start off with this week. Um, one gentleman who's newer to our church wrote in and said, um, interesting Sunday, the pastor just fired off on some song, and I thought to myself, I wonder where this is going. Um, but I, I'm just wondering how many of you were singing all week long in your head, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love. Good, good, were you? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I hope that it's calling you, I hope that this series, I hope that as we speak, it's calling you to a deeper love for the Lord. I hope that it's changing that song in our heads to go something like this. I've stopped looking for love in all the wrong places. And we're looking, we're driving our attention and driving the choices that we're making to the truth of God and his word. We're making choices Foundational choices for survival is what we're, what we're working on. And um, isn't it true that all of our lives have become the subtotal of the choices that we have made and are making? I was, Robin and I were on a little trip to interview a pastoral candidate. Keep praying. Um, we still are in need of a, 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 um, a discipleship pastor to join our team. And we're still looking, we're still searching, but we went out to Miles City, Montana. Anybody know where Miles City, Montana is? Of course you don't. It's out in the middle of nowhere, Montana. And um, we had to drive like crazy. It was in the middle of that really hard, cold spell that we had. And um, well, we got to the hotel that we were staying at, and it, we were on the fourth floor. And I remembered the words that um, from the great theologian, Matt Faulkner, who once told me, Phil, you've got to make better choices. You gotta make better choices. So I told Robin, I said, hey babe, um, instead of taking the elevator, <laughs> we're gonna make better choices and we're gonna take the stairs. 
And so for three days, every time we went to our room, we, and you know what I had to do to myself? I had to say, Phil, because you had to make a decision. There was a fork in the road that I am either gonna take the elevator or I'm gonna take the stairs. And I kept saying to Robin, Rob, didn't I, Robin? And you were happy about it. Yes, you were. And we were like, we were like, babe, we're gonna make better choices. And we took a left turn and we walked up the stairs and then we got off the, out to go, to go to dinner, whatever we were gonna do. Like, we're gonna make better choices. And we took the stairs down, which is much easier than taking the stairs up. But that's what we're doing right now, right? We're making decisions to make better choices in our lives. And in our series here, we're building our life, foundational choices for survival. Hearing the words of the Lord and choosing to put those into practice in our lives so that we can build strong homes with strong foundations to withstand any storm that's coming our way. That's what we're all about right now. That's what we're working on. So today, we're gonna be working on authority choices authority choices. So we're going to start right here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Hopefully you're there. Now these are the verses just before the ones we worked on last week about building our foundation, building upon the, the wise builder, the, the foolish builder. This is what Jesus had to say in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Really? I thought the Bible says that for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that true? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is in the Bible, okay? But Jesus is, these are Jesus' words here, not somebody's interpretation of Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Heaven. So last week we were dealing with identity choices, basically answering the question, who are we? Specifically, who are we in relationship with God and his love? We were asking the question, will I and have I chosen God's love for myself? Have I and am I choosing God and his love over myself? We were making identity choices last week. Well, today and next week, we're going to be working on authority choices that every one of us must make as to who or what rules over our lives. More specifically, who am I choosing to follow in my life? Now, it's obvious, right, um, that we live in an authority crisis right now. Um, not just in our nation or in our community, maybe not just in your home. <laughs> Might have an authority crisis going on in your home, especially if you have a 15-year-old teenage daughter or son. I don't know why that came out like that. Um, there's a lot of professors out there. There's a lot of politicians out there, um, FBI agents and IRS agents and governors and parents and husbands and teachers and professional clergy and even evangelical pastors that have and are abusing their place of authority, misusing their authority, and have as a result forfeited their followers and the right to lead their followers and those that they're supposed to be leading. What a mess we live in. The world that we're living in, those in authority are disappointing us at every level. 
who do you trust? Who do you, who can you follow? Who can you submit to? We're supposed to submit to the authority over us. We're supposed to honor the authority over us. But in a world that we live in today, it's getting harder and harder and harder to do that. I remember growing up, maybe you grew up the same way that I did, where your parents taught you to honor authority and to respect your, your elders and respect authority over you. In fact, I was taught so much this thing of respecting authority that you respected authority no matter who it was, if they were, in, if they were older than you and if they were in authority over you in some kind of authoritative position, even if you thought that they were idiots or whatever word you might have about the person in authority over you, it was supposed to be yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Do you remember growing up when you were a kid and, and it was like Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so? And then you would get to a place where you're like 40 years old and you're still calling them Mr. and Mrs. And they go, why are you calling me Mr. and Mrs.? Because I can't do anything. I can't. I can't help it. It's just bred in me. It's just like in me to do that. Because we were taught how to respect and, and respond in a, in a respectful way to the authority over us. Not so much these days. It's getting harder and harder these days because those in authority are abusing their authority. Let me give you a definition for authority. It's gonna be on the screen right now, okay? Here we go. Um, the power and right to give orders, make decisions for others, and enforce obedience. You see the two words in there, the two key words? Authority is the power and the right. Now, <laughs> some of you are already hearing it like this. The power and right to give me orders, make decisions for my life, and enforce obedience on me. And you're not okay with that. Some of us, when we read that, it like sends shivers down our spines or makes the hair stand up on the back of our necks. Some of us, for a whole host of reasons, hate authority. And a lot of us tend to have a bent toward rebellion against any power or any persuasion over us. Anyone, anything that represents somebody who's going to give me my marching orders or tell us how to make decisions that we either can or can't make. And most of the time, we outright reject anyone trying to force obedience on us. Are you relating to me at all? Um, I, I think I could say that all of us at one time or another have an authority problem. Have authority issues. And what we all need to understand, because I don't know where you are on that today, on, on the scale of that. Um, it's, it's, just not like, it's just not a teenage thing, rebellion against authority. It's just not a, if you grew up in the 60s, you know, and you're a hippie, you, you have issues with authority. That it goes way beyond that. I mean, I, 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 have, I have known some 90-year-old people that have issues with authority, have authority issues. We all need to understand that authority is a fundamentally biblical concept. And godly authority is one of the greatest gifts God has given to humanity, whether we understand it know it, want to know it or not. 
Each of us should be looking for some good and healthy and godly authority to place ourselves, surrender ourselves under for our own protection and our own benefit. And I hope that that's obvious to you. I hope that that's not a brand new concept to you today. In fact, what we're gonna discuss today is the most important choice of all for all of us is that we make Jesus and his word the Lord of our lives, to have the highest place in authority over our lives and come to the understanding, which is the title of the sermon, I'm not the boss. Now, already, okay, um, I had a man come up this morning and say, brother, you're gonna release a whole bunch of wife jokes um, in this, just with the title of your sermon, and I had another guy email me saying, yeah, I saw the title of the sermon uh, that you're gonna be preaching on Sunday. I've always known she is the boss and I'm not the boss. We're not dealing with that today. That's for a parenting conference or a parenting conference. <laughs> That'll be a, a marriage conference that we do someday. We're not dealing with that today. So get rid of those things, those concepts in your mind if that's what that brings up in your mind as we talk about this today. But we're gonna be looking at some foundational principles of authority that will help prove that we are not the boss of our lives. You ready? All right, authority number one, concept, principle of authority number one is everybody serves somebody. Everybody submits to some authority over them. And um, it comes in all kinds of different forms of who we submit to. You know, some people will submit to an individual um, that they admire or they want to emulate and they want to serve, some kind of rabbi type of person in their, in their life. It might be a pastor, it might be a professor, it might be a politician, um, it might be a Sunday school teacher that you had in your life. We all do this, but um, more and more, this is proving to be a danger because everyone, you need to hear this, every man and woman on the planet that you admire and that you would like to emulate, that you would like to serve, um, they're all scarred and they're all broken by sin and they will all let you down and they will hurt you somewhere along the way. You just need to know that. So it's kind of a dangerous thing for that to be the thing that you submit your life, your total life to. For others, it might be like a close relationship, like a, a husband or a parent. Um, and there are authority structures. I'm not gonna get into, there are three authority structures that the, that the Bible, that God lays out, and that is um, the family first, the church, and the government. And there are authority structures within all of that. Um, but that can be dangerous because, you, you know the old song, you always hurt the one you love. Why is that? Why does it happen like that? Why is it that the, we, we, we lay out the, the greatest hurt upon the people that we love the most? There's a whole host of reasons why we would do that, but that could be very dangerous um, when they are the ones with the power and the rule, this authority definition, if they have the power and the rule over your heart and over your life. For some, it's like a mission, or it's a goal, or it's a philosophy, like, 
I will lay down here and I will give my life to protect this turtle crossing. You know, that kind of, that kind of thing where you have these causes that you're gonna stand up for and that you're going to serve, you're gonna give your life for. I, I'm still frustrated with the whole um, dune mice thing in Florida. You know, like people are willing to stay up and guard the dunes at night with their shotguns because of the insensitive people that wanna go out and walk on the dunes. And you're gonna disrupt the mice traffic. I mean, what is wrong with us that we would like serve some kind of goal and some kind of mission like that where we're like, we're concerned about the rodents now. You know, like protect the rodents on whatever, forget it. You know, I could keep on listing, but by far, here, here's, what we're, here's what we're getting after. That was stupid. Why did you, I won't do that in the second service. <laughs> Obviously, it bothers me, right? <laughs> the number one thing that everyone serves, do you know it? There you go. Everyone serves somebody, right? And the number one person that everyone wants to serve is ourselves. You know you do. The philosophy that most of, most of us live by is the authority in my life is me. I'm going to look out for myself. I'm going to be the captain of my ship. No one's going to have power over me and tell me what to do. I'm the boss of my life. I serve myself and oh, by the way, you exist to serve me. Everyone in the world around me exists to serve me because I'm about serving myself. I'm the Lord of my, I'm the boss of my life. I serve myself. We, this, is, this is foundational for all of us that we wrestle with. We're like John Lennon. You ever know who John Lennon is? Okay, yeah. Not a guy you wanna follow, um, he wrote, he actually wrote a song called Serve Yourself. You say you found Jesus Christ, he's the only one. By the way, in this whole song, those are the only lyrics that are true, okay? These are the, it's interesting that he actually lays out the beginning of his song with absolute truth. You say you found Jesus Christ, he's the only one, that's true, he is. You say you found Buddha sitting in the sun. You say you found Mahama facing to the east. You say you found Krishna dancing in the streets. Well, there's something missing in this God Almighty stew. You got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody gonna do it for you. You got to serve yourself. Well, you may believe in devils and you may believe in lords, but if you don't go out and serve yourself, lad, ain't no room service here. That last phrase doesn't make any sense at all, but you get the point. He writes a song and the song is, serve yourself. Ain't nobody else gonna do it. Serve yourself. This is at the heart of every unregenerate human being born into this existence. We pop out of our mother's wounds, proclaiming to the whole world, it's all about me. I'm gonna spend the rest of my life serving myself, and we're very broken in that way, and we need salvation from ourselves. You remember Timothy McVeigh? So Timothy McVeigh, uh, uh, a young man at the time, 2001, decides he's going to blow a bunch of people up for a whole host of reasons. He's actually called an American terrorist who planned and executed the Oklahoma City bombing that killed 168 people. 11 children were killed that day because there was a daycare in that building. Wounded hundreds of other people in that act. 
In fact, this act of terrorism is still on the books as the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in U.S. history. So he's going up for execution because of what he did. He's tried, he's found guilty, his punishment is death. And before he's executed, they asked him a couple of things. You know, probably, what do you want? What's your last meal? And they asked him, what would you like read over you or spoken over you? Would you like to have somebody come in and speak something over you? A a pastor, a priest, would you like to have somebody speak over to you? He picked a poem to have read over him. And these words, penned by William Ernest Henley in a poem called Invictus, were, were the words he chose to have read over him just before he died. These are the last words he heard. Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Those were the last words he had read over him before he went into a Christless eternity. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's the problem with the human heart. And before we get too judgmental of Timothy McVeigh or William Ernest Henley, we need to realize there's something in the darkness of all of our hearts, something in the darkness of the human heart that doesn't want authority over them. I'm the king. I'm in charge of my life. Some people, when it comes to the Bible and comes to obeying God and his word, are like, I'm not a puppet. You can't tell me what to do. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I'm in charge. I'll do whatever I want. I'll live my life however I want. And no one can tell me otherwise. This, my friends, what I'm describing right now is every one of us, before we have made the decision to humble our hearts and make Christ the Lord of our lives before we make him the master of our fate and the captain of our souls. Everybody serves somebody. We all in agreement? Let's move on. Here's the next foundational principle in authority. We choose who we serve. Joshua 24, 15 says this. God told Joshua to go before the people and say this to them. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It goes on to say, either serve the gods of the people around you or serve me, but make your choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. I would like to say to you that this is the call of God to all of us today. Choose. Make the choice. This is what we're working on. Foundational choices for survival. Who are you gonna choose to serve? Who are you gonna choose to follow? Who are you gonna choose to make the Lord of your life? Choose it today. 
Either serve the gods of the world or choose yourself or choose me, but you can't serve both or all of them. Make a choice, and I believe God is giving us the choice today. You can choose. You get to choose, my friends. We all choose who we serve. He's given you the ability to make the choice, and you do choose, and God's going to hold each of us accountable for the choices that we make. What's interesting about this is that God doesn't choose it for us. He can make you choose, right? But he doesn't. He wants you to choose him. It's not God's will. The Bible says that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That everybody would choose to humble their hearts and repent of their sins and come to him, but he won't make you do it. He calls to you, and he's calling to all of us today hearing his voice, no matter where you are, no matter where you're sitting watching this online. He's calling to you, he's calling to all of us, choose, make a choice. Choose today whom you are going to serve. I would choose it for you, if I could. (laughs) If I could, I would make you all choose Jesus. I would snap it into your head and say, you're going to do it right now. If I had the power, I would make you choose Jesus. You have to choose Jesus right now. Why? Because he's the only way. He's the only help. He's the only power. He's the only healing. He's the only deliverance. And so if I could choose it for you, I'd choose it for you, but I can't choose it for you. I can only choose it for me. You have to choose. The call to all of us today, every one of us must choose who we will serve. Choose this day whom you will serve. Make your choice. We choose who we serve. Everyone serves someone. Here's the third principle of authority. It's a simple phrase. Jesus is Lord. Whether you think he is or not, whether you want him to be or not, whether you've made him in your life or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Revelation chapter one. And we're gonna work on the authority of God's word next week, okay? So I hope you'll be back for that. It's gonna be an awesome time together. And so just let me give you just a little bit of introduction to that as I set this up. The reason that we believe that Jesus is Lord and that that is an absolute statement is because the Bible says that he is. And the only thing that we can trust is the word of God. And we believe that everything in the word of God is God's word written down for us, preserved over time, so that we can trust it today. And if the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, then take it to the bank, Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter if the world thinks he's Lord or if you think he's Lord, he is because the Bible tells us that he is. So let me read for you Revelation chapter one, This is John on the Isle of Patmos who's writing the the great book of Revelation and he sees the Lord Jesus in his vision. And this is what he writes in 1 verse 12, Revelation 1 verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Watch this now in 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the power of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and the grave and all God's people said amen to that. And then John goes on, flip over really fast to John Revelation 19 because he's gonna go on with this in another part of his vision that he had of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. His has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, linen, white and clean. By the way, my friends, that's you and me. Those are the raptured church. Those are the ones who have gone before us. That We're coming back with Jesus when he returns. That's us, as we described in verse 14. Verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe, here it is, and on his thigh, he has this name written. Written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is Lord. Doesn't matter what anybody says or doesn't say. Doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Jesus Christ is Lord because the Bible tells us that he is Lord. He is the King of all kings and he is the Lord of all lords. That's who we're working on today. That's who we're working on to try to get into our own lives is for him to be our Lord. One commentator wrote on this, and this is what he wrote. You can be saved without fully comprehending what all this means, but if you reject Christ's authority, once you've been confronted with the truth of his lordship, then you will not and cannot be saved no matter what you say. There's a lot stuff to sink in in that statement. There's a lot about God and the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a lot about him that we will never understand. We're not required to be able to answer every question about God and why he does what he does and how the, why this system is what it is. But you better take a lot of time to process this whole thing of his lordship in your life. Because he is Lord. Now, of course, we're talking about the biblical Jesus. You know what I mean by that? Uh, There's a lot of caricatures of Jesus out there. There's a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is out there. There's a lot of man-made Um, ideas about who Jesus is out there. We're talking about, and we must follow and serve the biblical Jesus, not a made-up Jesus, because Jesus isn't your buddy. 
Jesus isn't your good luck charm. Jesus isn't your safety net. Jesus isn't just a, a righteous man. I, I heard just the other day that someone at a funeral um, got up, a pastor got up and said, you know, Jesus is just like another prophet, another good prophet. And there's all kinds of Buddhism in the Bible and all the kinds of stuff like this. And Jesus is just another good prophet. That's not true. He got up at one of the most vulnerable times in a family's life and told them a lie about who God is and who about Jesus is. That's not, that's not the Jesus that we're talking about. The Jesus we're talking about is the king of all kings. And he is the Lord of all lords. That's the biblical Jesus. You want to see more about the biblical Jesus? You got some time? You do. <laughs> I, I'm doing pretty good today. I'm not so bad um, today. Let's go for it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1. This is one of the Best verses on who Christ is and helping us understand Christ and his lordship. Colossians chapter one, verse 15. The first thing we're gonna look at, this is the portrait of the biblical Jesus, is that he is supreme. You can write that down in your notes. He is supreme. Verse 15 of Colossians one. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Let me just stop right there. Do you understand that no one can see God the Father? Yes. Why? Because God the Father is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know that no one has ever seen the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's the Holy Spirit, okay? But you can see Jesus. People saw Jesus on earth. Jesus took physical form. Jesus took his physical form in his glorified body and took it to heaven. Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father in the throne of heaven. He's physical there. When, when a person, when a believer dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so the Bible right here in Colossians tells us that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's a powerful statement right there. I don't understand everything about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but what we can understand right here is Jesus. In fact, your Bible might say this, but the, the reality of the Greek language here is that Jesus is the exact representation, the visible image, the exact representation of the invisible God, the Father. He existed before anything was created and is, here it is, supreme over all creation. Jesus is the exact representation and he is supreme. Now some of your Bibles might say that he is the firstborn of all creation. It's not speaking, this is not speaking to his birth order, it's speaking to rank and privilege. He is supreme over all created beings. Here's the second thing, he is the creator of all things. He's not just supreme over all creation, he is the creator of all creation. Look at verse 16. Through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything, how much? Everything was created through him and for him. The Bible says that Jesus looked over all the nothing. Hebrews tells us that at that point, he spoke the worlds into existence. He is supreme over all creation. He is the creator of all that has been created. And look at the third thing. He is the power that holds it all together. Verse 17, Colossians 1:17. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. You wanna do a fascinating study? Do a study of the atom sometime and find out the power of this verse right here. 
that Jesus is literally holding all creation from flying apart. That's what the Bible says. That's what this is telling us. Second Peter 3 tells us that there is coming a time very soon when Jesus will withhold his sustaining power on the earth, and at that point, the whole earth will be set on fire and will melt with fervent heat. That's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3. In fact, this very moment, the earth and all that is in it, you and me, are being held together by the one, Jesus Christ, who spoke it all into existence. This is the one that we're talking about. This is the one that we serve. He is the one that we love. His name is is Jesus Christ, the Lord. You want one more example of who he is? He is the head, he is the beginning, he is supreme, and he is first. Colossians 1.18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. That's what we believe, my friends. This is why we exalt the name of Jesus, because he is the head of this church, his church, the body of Christ all over the world. He is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Are you starting to see the big picture? If not, let me define it for you. It matters not whether he is all these things to you or not, or whether anyone in the world thinks that he is all these things. He is all these things. Doesn't matter what we think about it. Doesn't matter how we feel about it. Doesn't matter whether we've been hurt in the past and have a problem dealing with it. He is all these things. And if we're to survive this world, he must be first in our lives. He must be supreme in our church, in our families, and in our hearts. If I haven't lost you yet, I want you to hang on right now and hear this. God, in his mercy and in his grace, right now is holding salvation out to a depraved, stubborn, sinful human race saying, come to me, humble yourself, repent of your sin, receive my salvation, and make my son the Lord of your life. This is what's being held out to us. This is why I say that he, the call to us today is choose today. Make your choice today because he will not do this forever. Romans 14.10, Paul says this to us. Remember, don't forget that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians that because Jesus humbled himself, because Jesus submitted himself to the authority of his father, even Jesus was under authority, my friends. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, brought himself under the authority of God and submitted to, his, to obedience to God, even obedience to death on a cross. And because of that, Humility, And because of his obedience, God exalted him and blessed him. And Philippians 2.9 says that God exalted him to the highest place. And hear this now. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. 
So how many knees are gonna bow? Every single knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Jesus Christ is what? Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, he is. And your tongue will confess it. And your knee will bow before him whether you want to or not. Jesus is the rightful leader and ruler. He's the boss. He's the king. Are you listening? He's your Lord, whether you choose him or not. Which brings us to the last principle of authority. Bow to Jesus before he makes you. Back to Matthew 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What? Okay, this is serious. Verse 21, in the last days, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I'll say to you, I don't know who you are. How can this be? This is very important piece of doctrine right here about salvation. At the end of the day, what matters in lordship is not just, okay? I'm saying just, keep that in your mind. It's not just a moment in time when your lips declared Jesus as Lord of your life. What has to accompany that and will accompany that if you truly in your heart believe and have made him and chosen him to be the Lord is that every waking moment from that point on of every day you will choose his will for your life over your own will because he is the Lord of your life and you made him the Lord of your life when you confessed him as Lord of your life. It's at the fork of every decision of every day when you say, if I was the boss of my life, I would choose this, but I'm not the boss of my life. Jesus is the boss of my life. And because Jesus is the Lord of my life, I choose this. Do you see that? It's every day at the fork in the road where you make this decision. I, if I was the Lord of my life and the Lord of my finances, I would choose this, but I'm not the Lord of my finances. Jesus is the Lord of my finances. And so because his word tells me to do this with my finances, I'll choose to do this because he's the Lord of my life. 
If I was the Lord of my life, I've got a decision to make about how I'm gonna lead my family and how I'm gonna lead my marriage. And if I was in charge of my life, I would do it this way, but I'm not. Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of my marriage. He's the Lord of my family. So I'm gonna make this decision instead. I hope you can see that everyone must come to a crisis of belief where we recognize him as Lord and confess it with our mouths and he wants all of us to come to that place today. But what really matters is the process of living it out every day. Daily choices of surrender to his power, to the authority in our lives that comes from the word of God and listening to what he says and doing what he says, which my friends, I would, I would present to you is the proof that the lips, the, the declaration of your lips is true. Because a person who declares him Lord and doesn't do what he says, do the will of, his, of the Father in heaven, is not making Christ the Lord of his life. You have to do the will of his Father in heaven if you're gonna call him the Lord of your life, if he truly is the Lord and master of your life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You're like, I want this, Phil. I want to make him the Lord. I want to stand before him someday and I want to hear his voice call out my name and receive me into his kingdom. I want to hear him say, I know you. Come on in here, Phil. I don't want to hear, I don't know who you are. How do I do that? But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. talking about building, right? We're talking about wise builders and what do wise builders do? They hear the words and then they obey. And they do it because they've made Jesus the Lord and master of their lives. Choose this to make him Lord and your house will survive anything that comes. Want a homework assignment? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the A students, you know. The rest of you are like, not really. How, how many days does it take to make a habit? 20, what? 21 days, something like that? Okay, 30? Let's just go with 30. Here's the homework assignment. You're making this up as you go along, pretty much. Um, 30 days. Okay, you wanna make Christ the Lord of your life? Okay, what does it mean to make Christ the Lord of your life? It, it, it's choosing, right? Making the choice, every, every fork in the road, making a choice to serve him and to go his way, not your own, okay? So how about we do this? As a church body, all of us, every single one of us, for 30 days, before we do anything, when we get up in the morning, before we brush our teeth, before we get our coffee, before we do anything, you slip out of your bed and go to your knees next to your bed 
and whisper a prayer like this. Today, I make you the Lord of my life. Every decision I make, I'm gonna choose you. I'm gonna follow your path. I'm gonna follow your word. I'm making the commitment right now today to make you the Lord of my life. Help me to get out of the way and follow you and obey you. And then get up and walk it out. You up for that? Every day for 30 days. And let's see how it changes the lordship equation in our lives. Because you do know that if you pray according to the will of the Father, if you pray anything according to the name of Jesus Christ, he will answer your prayer. He will. And I promise you, if you do that every day, he'll remind you all day long when you come to those forks which way you need, what, what do you need to choose? You up for it? I can't wait to hear the stories. I'm gonna send something out. Our administrative staff in here, you need to help me remember. I gotta send something out to remind everybody because you know how we are. Is that okay? Can I get up into your world a little bit like that? Come on, let's stand up. So Lord, right now, we uh, acknowledge you in your rightful place as the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Help us for the next 30 days to bend our knees to you at the beginning of each day and confess you with our mouths as Lord and make a fresh new commitment every single day and then help all of us to be obedient to your words, to be obedient to your will and surrender our wills to you in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We know that, we've tried it, we can't do it. But by your power, we can do it. Help us with that. And as we surrender those things to you that block us sometimes, all the time, from seeing you and hearing from you and seeing your will, open up doors of opportunity for us to build into people's lives, to be, because friends, you need to hear this, we are now the visible representation of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The world sees Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in us and the way that we live in this world as Christ being the Lord of our lives helps people see Jesus. Our very lives, Lord, help us, our very lives to speak the name of Jesus from the mountaintops, from the housetops, in our neighborhoods, in our streets, in our homes. Use us in a powerful way, we pray. Amen. God bless you as you go. Give somebody some love on your way out. I love you. God bless you.